happy new year, happy 2022. How are you guys feeling about it? 2022? <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I'm feeling hopeful. I'm feeling good about 2022. I remember going into 2021 not feeling so good. You know, there was some foreboding, life, things were crazy. But I'm just feeling 2022, I'm excited. You know, I'm, I'm feeling hopeful. I'm looking forward to it. I, I kind of want to get after it. So I, I, we understand if you're not there, you know, um, but, but I'm, I'm definitely feeling that partly because, you know, you know, we're, we've moved here where I'm ready to kind of really uh, get, sink some roots into this place. We talked a lot as a family about what we want to see God do in 2022. And the big theme for my kids is pets. They want pets. They want mice. My daughter does. She just got into that. I don't know why, but that's fine. And a dog. So uh, I'm not a big dog guy myself, but the kids are, so I'll, I'll go with it. Um, but uh, so excited about that. And also, 2022, I'm going to be finishing up seminary uh, in the summer. It's been a seven-year slog for me. Fall 2015 is when I got started. And I started it kind of slow and it's the Master of Divinity, so it's a bigger, bigger degree. And uh, I remember I was nervous about it. And what I was nervous about was I was working full-time. I was a new dad, had three kids under the age of like four and uh, maybe five. You know, you get it. And I, I was nervous about the workload. I was nervous about a full-time job and then going to school. And, it, I, you know, I wasn't excited about doing 60 hours a week like every week. And after living in the Silicon Valley for a while, I was like, is something wrong with me? Like, because it seems like everyone like loves 60 hours a week, or at least they just do it. I was not wanting to do that. And so um, I was nervous about it. And actually, the Lord, maybe knowing that and being the good shepherd that he is, my, one of my first classes, um, we studied uh, the book of Haggai. And there was a, a, a phrase in Haggai that spoke to me right in my anxiety there. Because they were called to build the temple. And it was a daunting task. And God had to encourage them. And he encouraged me. And that's the book we're going to look at today. We're actually going to be closing out our Advent series today. I think it's been cool. I've liked it. I don't know about you. We've done Advent past two weeks past Christmas. Two Sundays past Christmas. And um, I've been digging it. I like the idea of ref keep continuing to reflect on what it means that God is with us into the new year. So we have looked at what it means that God is with us in our losses. What does it mean that God is with us in our longings? And today we want to focus on what does it mean that God is with us in the future? Specifically, what does it mean that God is with us in how we prepare for 2022? If God is with us, what does that mean about how we need to live out this next year? So that's kind of what I want to do in this sermon is kind of rally us to, uh, uh, to you know, get excited and live a life of faith of following God in 2022. Uh, so we're going to look at the book of Haggai. And, um, and as we read it, I think there's a lot of parallels to um, what's happening in this book and what's happening in the church today. So we're going to be uh, in chapters 1 and chapters 2. So we'll start off here in chapter 1. 
Verse 1, in the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the, prof, uh, the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. What were uh, the context of this letter is um, post exilic Israel. What that means is Israel was uh, sent off into exile to Babylon, and now they've been allowed to come back to rebuild Jerusalem. The 70 years is up, and there's been a contingent of uh, uh, Jewish people that have returned to um, uh, Judah, and their, their task is to rebuild the temple, and, uh, but also to rebuild their own lives, right? And by the time we get to Haggai, we see that they have been sidetracked uh, in accomplishing this task. They have been focusing on rebuilding their own homes. Now, I personally think this is an understandable sidetracking situation here. I mean, Jerusalem was left in ruins, and so they needed to, they couldn't just come back and start building the temple. They had to kind of first set up their own homes and they had to set up the crops and they had to start, you know, uh, being able to uh, subsist on the land. That's a lot of work. But what it appears to have happened is that they, um, that season of needing to rebuild their own homes extended and they never got back to the original task of temple building. They continued to work on their homes to where God had to step in and say, hey, uh, we have a problem here. What about my house? Um, and so God is going to call them out of complacency towards rebuilding the temple. And so these are, here are the parallels that I see here. Um, we also, as a church, both Solano Church and kind of in the world, and especially the U.S., we've been kind of in exile over these last few years, we've been kind of scattered into our homes, and now we're coming back kind of slowly over time. We're starting to regather, and we've been guilt. We've been given a building project, have we not? We have a building project, 
And what that building project, it's, it's spelled out very clearly in the New Testament, many passages. I'll read the one that I think is, um, if you've been attending at Solano, you've heard this a lot. This is part of our core value. It comes from Ephesians chapter 4, 15 and 16. This is Paul speaking to the church. So this is to you and me. This is directly about how, what we're called to build. He says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so we are called in, in the New Covenant Church at Solano Church in 2022, we're called to build the new temple, which is the church, which is his body, which is us. We're called to build each other up, right? But Israel, they had to use, they were building a temple of stones. We're building a temple of living stones. And so their tools were hammer and nail. Okay, maybe not nails. I don't know what they used then. But you get my point. Hammer and nails, our tools, our truth and love. And so when we think about what does it mean that God is with us, we've been studying that. It means that God with us means we are called to build his people. Because Israel was God's covenant community, they had a calling on their life. That calling was to build his temple. And we have that same calling. We are God's people. So we have a calling to build up his church, to build up his people. Now, what I'm not saying, I want to be careful here. I'm not saying a parallel is that we as a church are being neglectful like Israel was. I'm not saying that. But I think there is a similarity in that there is an inertia on us to, to, uh, to approach this building project. There is weight keeping us from really engaging that. And that's what I want to address in this sermon. That was my heart for the sermon, is to say in 2022, we have been kind of all struggling with what's been going on these last couple of years. And so there's, there's pain over these last few years. There's loss of relationships. There's loss of trust. COVID is still going. And so there is an inertia on us but I want us to press in and press onward with the Lord with, the, with fervency. And so kind of what I'm trying to do is get ahead of the curve. I, want us, I don't want us to get to this place that Israel was in with Haggai, where they were neglectful and their time of working on their homes had extended beyond what it needed to and God had to intervene. I'm trying to get ahead of that curve. I don't think we're at that point right now. Now, God may speak to you individually and may convict you in how he does. That's between you and the Lord. But my point is to, is to recognize that we want to go after 2022 and pursue uh, what, uh, uh, his, this building project. Or, or, okay? And, but there's a weight on us. There's, and so we see that here with Haggai, they've been given this building project, but they have two major barriers that are working against them. And I think we can relate. The first thing that we see, you know, as we were reading in Haggai is that 
When they were called to rebuild the temple, they were first working on their own needs to store up for their own futures, and so they were neglecting temple work. And I want to take a second to analyze that. What I, what I think that shows is that Israel was kind of viewing their lives as having two distinct spheres, okay? They had their personal livelihood that they were like, first, we got to get all this in order, and then they had their covenant responsibilities to God. And so there was a hierarchy. There was a priority that they had made. First, it was their home and their needs and storing up all their grain. Then later... I'll get to the building, the temple. So God's response to that was to say, essentially, is it fair for you to build up your home and leave my home in tatters? And of course, the rhetorical answer to that is no. And we're kind of supposed to feel the sting of that. You're neglecting me by neglecting my temple and focusing solely on your house but there's an, a, a presumption, if God is going to make that statement, there's an, a presumption he's making. And that is, he's saying that to build my house is at least just as important as building your own houses. And so what God does is he causes their personal efforts to come to nothing. God says, and as he's talking to Haggai, he's saying, hey, you guys kept trying to bring in grain and bring in all this food and really try to store things up, and I blew it away. I thwarted that. You worked twice as hard and got half as much. That was God doing that. Why? Why did God do that? Well, first of all, to get their attention, right? Hey, guys, wake up. What about my house? But I think something more fundamental is going on. What God is saying to Israel, a more important principle of being God's people, is he's saying, if you are my covenant people, then you do not have two spheres of life. You don't have your personal life and then the life of faith. You don't have your, the things of your home and then the things of God. If you are my covenant people, then I am your sphere of life. If I am your God, then you have one agenda, my agenda. So he gives, after saying this, he gives this kind of electrifying command. He says, build my house that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified. And so to be God's people means that phrase, that idea motivates you. That excites us. When Israel heard that command, build my house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, it's supposed to wake them up and say, yes, I want that. That's what it means to be God's people. I want to build something that God takes pleasure in. I want to build something that God is glorified in. I think a great analogy in modern life to what's happening with God being glorified is the idea of a sports stadium. Okay? A sports stadium carries this idea very well. Imagine you had a basketball team. And 
They were one of the best teams in the league, one of the best teams in history. They had one of the best players in history, some of the best players in the league. I may be talking about the Warriors. Imagine if they had no stadium. Their greatness as a team could not be displayed, could not be enjoyed by themselves or us. And so in order for a a basketball team's greatness to be known and experienced and celebrated in the world, what has to happen? It needs a stadium. It needs a stadium. And, And the fans, Warriors fans are like, yeah, let's build this stadium. Maybe not in Oakland. That didn't happen, unfortunately. But the idea, you get the idea. We love it. And so what's implied when God says build this house that I make take pleasure in it and be glorified is also that is the joy of his people. Just like a stadium is not only for the team, but it's for us to enjoy, is it not? You guys, what is God's stadium? It's the church. We are the arena in which God is glorified which he shows off who he is to the world and which we get to enjoy his presence here in the church. And so God's people look at that and say, I want that. I want to be about that. We know that because actually when God put it in those terms, Israel said, you know what? You're right. We need to repent. And they did. And they started building the temple. Now, I just want to address some continuity issues here. Is this just Old Testament thinking? This idea of build my temple being your agenda is my agenda. Is this Old Testament covenant? I want us to listen to Jesus' words. And you've heard this before, but listen to it now with this, uh, uh, with the context we're talking about. This is Jesus saying, Jesus talking to the people. He says, Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? That was Israel's problem, wasn't it? They were concerned about keeping up their livelihood before they got to temple building. They're like, We gotta keep, we gotta store up more and more. And they just didn't feel secure. So they didn't get to temple building. Jesus is saying the same thing. Don't be anxious about those things. For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. God is saying to Israel here, in this building of the temple, he's saying, Israel, I want you to build this temple. You see that grain you're trying to store? I'm in charge of it. I've got it covered. I can take it away. I can give it. Don't worry about it. Build my temple. I'll take care of you. I see Jesus saying the same thing here. Build my kingdom. Seek my kingdom. I'll take care of your needs. And so when... We treat kingdom building as something we'll get to when our lives get easier and we achieve achieve a level of comfort and stability. Then I'll get to work on church life and kingdom life and that stuff. Jesus is saying that means we have little faith. And what he means by that is we're not understanding what it means to have a heavenly father. In other words, we don't understand what it means to have God with us. 
And so that's an important question to really drill down together as a church, which we've been trying to do for four weeks, but this is an important element that has been missing while I wanted to preach this. What does it mean to have God with us? We've got to really drill down because I think the unity we have with God is much, much stronger and deeper than the unity of the Old Testament uh, uh, Israelites. If God is saying to Israel, hey, build my house, you're my people, build that temple, we're covenant people, how much more are we united to God's purposes? And so listen to how profoundly God unites us with him because of Christ. This is Ephesians chapter two. It says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I love all the prepositional phrases flying all over the place in this passage. With, in, by, through trying to capture our oneness with Christ. And I want to draw our attention to the last verse because we love the first half of this verse. We're saved by grace. We love that we're saved, that we've been saved from our trespasses. We've been made alive. But then verse 6, and... And raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places. Do you see what it means to be saved? It means that we're as good as in heaven with Christ right now. Forget a temple. Israel was building a physical building to mediate their relationship with God. We are now in heaven with God, virtually speaking. It's like we're in heaven. That's how much we've been united with Christ. But what is this a picture of? What do you mean I'm in heaven with Christ? Looking around here, I'm not sure this is heaven. Does it feel like heaven to you guys? I mean, I, I know I'm excited about 2022, but it's not going to be heaven. No. This is a picture of oneness of will. God rules from heaven, and we are seated with him. The idea of being seated is the image of throne room. It's more like Jesus is... is you know, he's on his throne ruling from heaven and we're like his tribunal. And he's saying, I want to do this. This is my will. This is what I want to see happen. This is how I'm working. And we're all with him saying, amen. I'm with you, Jesus, in your heavenly will. We're seated with him. So to be in Christ means we're saved, but being saved means our hearts have been so profoundly changed that we now live with Christ's own mind, his will, his perspective, his heavenly vision is our vision. That's what we want. In other words, God with us 
means we are one with his purposes. Being one with God means his will is our will. His glory is our pleasure. His pleasure is our purpose. And so the love of God brings us into union with him so profoundly that he sent his only son to remove our sins and to change our hearts to the point that the heavenly will that Christ has, we have with him and in him, in heaven. With him means we share his view of the world. I think of it this way. Christ is saying, hey, I'm doing this. God's people say, we're with you. I'm with you. But sometimes we falter in that, don't we? Sometimes maybe we do get like Israel and we get a little sidetracked from what God has called us to do. And so one thing since I've been here at Solano, I've appreciated this phrase. Uh, I've heard a lot. It's the idea of we have these come to Jesus moments, right? We have these come to Jesus moments where we realize that there's some things in our lives that need to change or we need to acknowledge or, or that we have to trust him with. But I'm going to tweak that. Sometimes we have this Jesus come to us moments. And I think that's what it means to be in Christ is that because we're in him, when we get sidetracked, he comes to us. He comes to us in love and he looks at us and he says, are you with me? Are you with me? And that's a gracious move on his part because when we who are God's people, who have God's spirit because of his precious blood shed for us, when we hear our savior say to our hearts, are you with me? We say, I'm with you. And so because we're in him, he keeps us with him. That's what it means to be seated with him in the heavenly places. We're one with his will and he keeps us on track with him, even when we get sidetracked. So we do not have two lives, our personal life and our faith and devotion life. To belong to Christ means we have one life, to do his will. The bread that we seek is to do and seek God's kingdom because the actual bread we need to feed us and clothe us and shelter us, God says, I'm gonna take care of that. Build my kingdom. So being with, so God being with us means we are called to build God's people because we are one with his purposes. This Advent series has been about bringing Christ into our realities. That's kind of been the theme is to say, okay, Christ with us, but where, in what? And so we've really tried to address, and I've, I've called you, and Andrew and I, we've called you to summon the courage to say, this is where I'm at. I want to bring Christ in there. Here are my losses. Here are my longings. And so we must continue with that reality when God says to build up my kingdom, to build up my people, I want us to be very clear about what that means, the reality of that. And so I came today, this morning, I have our cards here. These are the losses that you wrote down as a church. 
We all wrote these down. These represent all of us sitting here, sitting with you in church, in your home groups, on your cell phones, people you hang out with, party with, go on vacations with. This is us. And there is real suffering. There is real longing in these cards. There's a Hebrew term, nephal. It's an interesting term. It means to let something fall to the ground. But it carries this idea of broken promises. And so God says to Samuel, the prophet, um, when he commissions him, he says, I will not let any of your words nephal. I will not let any of your words fall to the ground. And what he's saying is, I'm going to make sure your words stand true, stand firm, are effective. And so we have to decide as a church, when we talk about kingdom building, are we going to let these cards, our losses and longings, fall to the floor? As I think about what these cards mean, a lot of people shared loss of relationship. Deaths in families. Death of loved ones. Broken families. Struggles with God. Feeling distant from God. Struggling, struggles with sin. Emotional, physical pain. I think about people who aren't even at church. The struggles they must be going through. And we have to be careful what we're saying with our lives and our hearts. I'll get to kingdom building later when I get things figured out. Or, by God's grace, we will help our brothers and sisters stand. To stand in the grace of God. That we will seek first the kingdom of God. And not let these fall to the ground. Not let God's word fall to the ground. Because here's what it means that God is with us. And our losses and longings. It means that he is with us through one another. That we experience God with us through the way we love and build each other up. That's what it means to have God with us. And so this is daunting work. This is hard work because each of us have our struggles. Each of us come to the plate with a, a, our own burdens. And it is hard work. And so the barrier that Israel had once they got to work, once Israel got to work, they struggled again. Because they were looking at what they were building and they were saying, I, this, is, this, is, this is nothing. What we're building here, it can't compare to what Solomon built. Solomon, when he had all the resources, when Israel was at the height of their power and the height of their glory, we can't compete with that. And they were struggling. And so God has an encouragement to them. 
He says, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it nothing in your eyes? And the answer is yes. That's, they're saying, yeah, this house, this temple we're building is nothing compared to what it was. God acknowledges that. And he says this, yet now be strong, Zerubbabel. He's the governor. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all the nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. This is the phrase that spoke to me seven years ago when I began my seminary career, when I realized I had a daunting task to do my degree, work full time, be a dad. It was this phrase that when I put the kids to bed and it was like 8.30, I had to, I had to get back on my computer. I would much rather hang out with my wife, talk, reflect on the day, go to bed when I wanted. But instead, I'd open my computer, I had to work. And God spoke to me, this was the phrase, work, for I am with you. Work. I am with you. I want that phrase to be in our hearts for 2022. Whatever you're facing, whatever it is, maybe it's, it is your job and it's hard, but you gotta do it. It's kingdom work. It's, it's things related to church life as well. Work, for I am with you. God with us means we work with his power to accomplish his purposes. So we have celebrated our Emmanuel, our God with us, and our losses and our longings. That means at the same time, we're called to be the hands and feet of Christ to one another in those losses and longings. So I don't know what this next year will bring. But my hope, though, is that we will continue to stay or grow even hotter and stronger in our devotion to being one with God in his purposes. Because he has seated us with him in the heavenly places. He is our heavenly father that will take care of our needs. So there is work to be done. Work, for I am with you. I don't know what that'll look like, but I can surmise a few things for practically for sure of the work we'll need to do this next year. We will need to lean into relationships, not away from them. We're gonna have to come back together. We're gonna have to dig in. We're gonna have to lean into relationships with one another. We'll need to struggle with COVID policies. COVID is still here. I'm hopeful that it's, it's loosening up and, and getting weaker and it'll go from a pandemic to an endemic, I believe is the term. 
where it's no longer uh, as, as scary and deadly. I'm hoping we get there, but until that happens, we still have to wrestle with COVID policies. And so I hope we can do that while getting hotter in our love for one another, not colder. We'll need to face wounds. We'll need to break old habits. And some of us are gonna need to move forward with the limp that won't fully heal. Some things will just hurt and be hard. But he is our God with us. We'll have to reconcile and forgive and make mistakes and seek forgiveness. We're living stones. Physical stones are easy. You just chip at them, you make them the size you want, and you stack them on top of each other. People aren't exactly like that. We're not like that. We bring our own baggage. We bring our own struggles. People bring differences, different backgrounds, cultural differences. It's hard. But we're going to have to have the grace to love one another, to forgive each other, to seek forgiveness, to have open postures, learning postures. We'll need to re-engage in the life of the church. So that means home groups, serving, Sunday service, giving. We have to engage with all that with vigor in 2022. We'll need to start new ministries, start new ministries. We'll forge new partnerships even as we move on from old ones. And we need to do the work of prayer. So next week, we're gonna start off building God's kingdom, building up one another with prayer. We're gonna take a whole service. We're gonna dedicate it to praying together. One service, as you saw in the announcements, we're gonna pray. We're gonna worship and we're gonna pray. And all this, God says, work for I am with you. So let's get ready to do that, Solano. Let's get ready in 2022 to work. I am eager to harvest with you whatever God has been sowing and watering over these last few years. Let's see what he's gonna harvest. And I'm eager to to water with you and sow with you whatever he wants to harvest in the future. So let's put our hands together. Let's put our hands to the plow. Let's make that commitment together as a church. Knowing he is our God with us. We are one with his purposes to build his people and we work with his power. Let me pray. Father God, thank you that you have made us one with you. Lord, that your pleasure and your house where you are glorified is our playground. It is where we derive the most joy. It is where we experience the most safety and protection. It's where we experience you the most profoundly. And you call us to work. You are with us in our losses to comfort us. You give us hope for our longings and you empower us to build your kingdom. Lord, let us do this in 2022. Lord, give us great wisdom as leaders. Give us great faith as members to engage that work, to love each other, to try new things, to forgive, to move, to move forward. Lord, we pray for the end of this pandemic. But in the meantime, Lord, let us not grow cold in our love for you, our love for one another. So Lord, be, thank you that you're with us on all this and we look forward to all that you'll do. In Christ's name, we pray.
Amen.